0: Scott, what a great job you always do. I really appreciate good music, and uh, I get to hear a lot of bad music (laughs) on the road, and a lot of good music, and uh, church, you're blessed to have uh, so much talent here, and so much willingness to worship the Lord with that talent. Uh, Let's try this again. Good morning. Okay, now you're there. Uh, My name is Joshua Bell, for those who, who may not know me. And I am your missionary uh, to the city of London, and we've been on the road raising uh, support on what we like to call, well, I don't like to call it, but we call it deputation, and uh, we've been on the road for around two years, and uh, we're hoping to be on the field in London by the beginning of 2017. It is a long road, it can be a hard road sometimes, uh, but it is a very rewarding road, and though our future ministry is to reach the people of London with the gospel of Jesus Christ, our ministry right now is to stir the hearts and the minds of the church to missions and that they would take that stirring of their spirit and give more and more and more of not only their finances but of their time and of their life to the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> if you're not already, I would beg you to pray for us on a daily, weekly, monthly uh. Uh, uh, time, because not only do we travel a lot and the road is is dangerous, how many people saw a crazy person on the road driving to church this morning? Okay, that's multiplied exponentially when you're on the freeways and the highways and the byways. Pray for uh, that God would knit us together with other churches and pastors that would be willing uh, and like-minded to take us on uh, for support for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, pray for us individually that we would have health and that we would uh, accomplish what God would have us accomplish. I love this church. Uh, coming up in August will be the 10th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina. And those of you who know us know that we went through that storm, but that storm brought us here. And that storm is the reason why we're going to the foreign field. And uh, so we have been a part of this family. and We have loved you for 10 years already. It just seems like time Flies. He blinked, blinked twice and it's over. And it's, and it's 10 years down the road. And we could not do <clears throat> all that we do without this church and without your sacrificial giving to all the missionaries that you support. But we have that special feeling from you guys because you are our sending church. We tell people that we are sent out of First Baptist Church in Bologna, Arkansas to take the gospel to the city of London. If you are not friends with me on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, um, look us up. And I would pray that you would do that in order to pray for us and to know more about what's going on in our day to day lives. Um, Thank you for those who have prayed for us all along the way. This past year has been tremendously difficult, but also uh, very rewarding. Um, And uh, I just covered your continued prayer. Okay, that's my little commercial. And we're going to get on to the good stuff. But before we look at our text this morning, I want to share a deeply personal story that I've not shared with very many people because I really don't like to think about it. It's kind of a horrific event in my life. When I was very young, say eight or nine years old, I was tasked with going and cleaning out this shop. And I'm out there sweeping and mopping and and picking up trash and cleaning this place out. And there's a box over in the corner that kind of escaped my eye. And so I go over to get it, and I reach down, and I pick it up. And when I pick it up, I uncover a family of rats. Can I get amen? Yeah, you know where I'm going with this, maybe. And I'm, I'm, you know, very intrigued, but also fearful. I slowly back away. Well, I don't know if I, you know, offended this family of rats or whatever, but they began to come at me. And, and I, I'm looking for the exit. I can't find the exit. They begin to physically assault me, okay? That's the only way I can describe it. They're crawling up my legs. They're biting at me. I've got shorts on, and, I, I mean, I'm afraid, okay? And I, they're starting to get up to my face, and I'm fighting them off, and I'm beating them off, and they just seem like they're just coming and coming and coming and coming. Well, <clears throat> I was an eight-, nine-year-old boy, but I screamed like a girl. And I'm screaming, and, and you're laughing, but it was very traumatic. We're having a moment here and you're laughing at my pain. But I'm, I'm screaming and I'm running around looking for the door. And I'm screaming so loud and so violently that I wake myself up. And thank the Lord to this day, it was only a nightmare. Don't you hate nightmares? If you love nightmares, you're just sick, Okay. Maybe you're an adrenaline junkie or something. I don't know. But, however, it was a nightmare. And I had that reoccurring nightmare over and over and over in my childhood. Needless to say, I hate rats. I hate rodents. I don't like anything that's small, furry, and quicker than I am. And it's just, now. I'm not opening the door for you to put plastic rats in my car. Uh, I will come after you, okay? Hard. But we have those dreams, and when you're a child, your nightmares are of crazy animal attacks or, you know, losing your parents or being lost in the store. And as an adult, I fear uh, being late. I have, I have a reoccurring nightmare where I'm late and I'm unprepared and I'm not dressed for the occasion. And that's my reoccurring nightmare because we speak at a lot of places, we have a lot of events, and usually the night before I'm going to preach, I have that dream. And, and then I wake up at 4 in the morning and I just want to stay awake and, and not let that dream become reality. But we, we dream and we have these nightmares over our greatest fears. The things that we fear the most, we dream about. And it's almost a way for our minds to kind of exercise uh, that fear and push through it. Now, I don't like to be afraid. I have no desire to go to these haunted house places. Uh, and pay money to people to, to make me afraid. I'm not into that for many reasons, but especially because I don't like to be afraid. But fear can be a very important thing in our lives. We don't touch the stove because we're afraid of getting our hand burnt. Um, we don't, most of us don't jump from high places for fear that we might break something or kill ourselves. We, we fear for our children as they play in the yard, and in the driveway, and sometimes in the street. And fear can be a healthy thing. Fear can can prevent us from death and from pain and from anguish. But fear can also be very bad. Fear can be the most fiercest enemy of the work of the gospel that we'll ever encounter. Fear can interfere. It can be crippling. It can be murderous to the plans that God has for us. And I speak from experience. For years I let the fear of pursuing what I knew God had for me keep me. I was afraid of what he was calling me to do. And I let that fear control me and lead me and guide me. I worried that what would happen to my children if we left uh, Vilonia and went overseas. I feared what they would miss out on. I feared what my family and extended family would have to endure with us being gone I feared what my extended family and my friends would say I feared the deputation process I was fearful about how we would survive on the road and on and on and on and on and on on did I fear and for seven years at least I let that fear keep me in, in place to a certain extent Sometimes the work of fear in our lives is from the inside, what we are most afraid of. We, we are crippled sometimes by that fear. But sometimes we, what we are trying to do for the Lord gets hampered because other people are afraid of what we're going to do. I can tell you that not all of my family was very excited when we said we were going to pack up the grandkids and move to a foreign country. I was, I was not on the top of the list for favorites for a while. I understand that. Um, I had friends say, well, I thought mission work was only to places like Africa. And, and I thought mission work was only to places like third world countries. Which is false, by the way. If people are lost and without Christ, no matter where they are, they need the gospel and they need people to take the gospel to them, right? And I was not the the favorite because of fear, because of fear. Um, We encounter a lot of missionary uh, wives who sometimes get, um, without, the they're not intending this, but they get verbally assaulted by other church people who say, one lady said, the lady grabbed her and said, now honey, are you really wanting to go to the Congo or is that just something your husband cooked up? You know, and they were so afraid for this woman, that she and, and they, were, they thought it was so crazy that she would pack up and move to the Congo to take the gospel that it had to be all of her husband's idea, and she was just going against her will. So those outside fears can be very, very tremendous and a lot of pressure. Our friends and family are fearful about what we must do for the Lord, and they beg us not to go sometimes. And this kind of pressure can be very hard to handle. Well, in our text this morning, Go ahead and turn to Acts 21, uh, 10 through 14. Acts 21. And we're going to see that if you read before this passage, Paul had just traveled from the city of Tyre, and he had finally reached Ptolemas. And then he moved on and reached Caesarea. And there he stayed at the home of Philip, who was an evangelist. And he stayed there several days. And during that time, he had a visit from a very interesting man who was a prophet. And this prophet had a sobering message to deliver to Paul. He tells Paul, "If you go on to Jerusalem, you're going to be imprisoned." And those outside fears started bubbling up with his friends, and they begged him not to not to they begged him to stay and to escape this fate. And their fear about what would happen to Paul in Jerusalem was pressing upon Paul. And so, what would he what would he do? Well, let's pick up on, in verse ten. As we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle, and he shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be persuaded, we see saying, the the will of the Lord be done. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. We pray that you bless the reading of your word, bless this time. Uh, Teach us what you would have to teach us, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen when we set out to do what God calls us to do, we're going to to face not only our fears, but the fears of those who love us and care about us. It could be that God wants you to give financially to missions, or it could be that God wants you to tell your unbelieving parent about Christ, or to start a new ministry, or to pack it all up and to move to a foreign field. And I'm going to tell you, if you let it, if you let it, fear will absolutely destroy whatever plans God has for you. And you cannot let fear interfere with the plans of Almighty God for you. If you do, there is is no chance for you to please God in what you are doing because you will constantly be allowing fear to be your God and not Almighty God. In the light of God's call, we can conquer fear. And that's what we're talking about today – overcoming fear we can conquer fear by remembering these three exhortations and i'm going to go through them one by one in verse 10 through 12 we we set the stage and we see number one trust not on man's understanding now paul finds himself staying with philip the evangelist and a guest who is there named agabus is a prophet and he goes over to paul I always always find this very interesting, how uncomfortable this must have been. And imagine it in modern context. Another man goes over to another man and pulls his belt off. It's very, very interesting. And he takes Paul's belt and he binds his hands and he issues a strong warning to Paul. And he says, if you go, whoever owns this belt, which they all knew, he just took it off of Paul, if you, whoever owns this belt will be imprisoned and bound uh, just like I am right here. Now his friends took this as a, as a strong warning. They didn't want him to go and they begged him to stay. And I want you to remember that within this crowd is Luke who's writing the book of Acts. And he's there as well. We know Luke to be a spiritual man. And he's begging Paul to stay as well. So imagine, imagine that tension they based their opinion on the fact that they were told of unfavorable circumstances that, would, that he would face in Jerusalem. And they were thinking if everything wasn't going to work out for the good or what they saw as the good, then that must mean God was not in it. That was their thinking. How many of you have taken a job? Maybe you moved here or wherever. Because everything seemed perfect, it was more money, you'd finally be able to buy that house you want, they were going to give you a car to travel around in, your kids were going to be able to go to better schools, and on and on and on. How many of you have ever made a decision based on the fact that everything seemed perfect? Anybody willing to admit that? Well, I know it's true, even though you won't raise your hand. Did, it, did that decision, after you made it, did it all fall apart? And you think, man, everything seems so perfect. I took this job; it was supposed to be this. It's supposed to be this. It was supposed to be this. This is the worst job I've ever had in my life. Why did I ever leave? We can all, on some level, understand what that means. It looked so perfect, and yet it wasn't. A lot of things look perfect. You remember when Paul and Silas in Acts sixteen were in the prison, and the prison doors were open to them. And what did they do? Everybody in this room would have, would have run. We would have got out of that prison. We would have took it as a sign that God must be opening these doors, and it's the perfect situation, and so I'm going to get up and leave. That makes perfect sense. I'm here to tell you that makes perfect sense to me. But it wasn't what God moved in their heart for them to do. They stayed, and by staying, they led not only the, the prison guard to Christ, but they led his entire family to Christ. What seems right is not always right. You remember when David was on the run from Saul and all of his men are gathered up in a cave? And who should enter but the king himself, King Saul came in to use the restroom and all the men whispered to David, God has delivered him to you right now. Strike him down and let's be rid of all this turmoil. Again, it makes perfect sense for David to pull his sword and strike down the man that he, was, that he knew was disobeying God and he knew that he was God's man and he, and he knew he was standing right there and it seemed so perfect for David to take his sword and to kill him. David pulls back, he cuts off a piece of his robe and then he follows Saul out and he confesses his sin. He said, you, are, you have been set by God And it is not for me to take you down. It is for God to put down or to lift up. Didn't it seem so perfect? All those guys were tired and probably hungry and sweaty. And and David, take your chance. Because David was a man of God, he knew that wasn't right. Perfect situations do not necessarily mean that God is in it. And the opposite is true. Just because things may not be ideal doesn't mean it's not what God wants you to do. Think about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He volunteered to leave heaven, to take on the form of man, to live a perfect life, knowing all the while that it wasn't going to work out for his flesh, that he was going to be crucified and sacrificed. And he came, and he did it anyway, knowing that things to our earthly minds, weren't going to work out that great. But it worked out tremendously well. He took that, what we thought was a bad circumstance and made it for our ultimate good, and he obeyed the Father, which was the most important thing that he could do no matter what the circumstances led him to. The problem we can sometimes face when we know God has called us to do something is to listen too much to the wisdom of man. That doesn't mean that fellow believers aren't a, perfect or aren't a great source of fellowship and sharpening and advice. However, we cannot, look to, we cannot look to them only. We have to look to God in the end. And if God is in it, it matters not whether it's going to cause us harm or loss. It is for us to do it and to be obedient. That is what is important. If you spend much time around me, you'll hear, these, you'll hear this phrase over and over and over. It matters very little what God has called you to, but it matters a tremendous amount that you're obedient to that call. God will work out the details. He just wants your obedience right now and for it to be faithful. I think that Paul's friends couldn't see the full picture. Uh, they let their love for Paul get in the way. They may have also worried about the future of the gospel ministry. If Paul's taken out, what's going to happen to us? What's going to happen to the ministry? But you know what? God sees the whole picture. And yet we want to meddle with that picture. We want to fix the colors. And we want to erase this line and draw this line in to make it make more sense to us. As his vessels, though... We must be willing to complete his will no matter what, even if it goes against what our families and friends have to say. The Bible says that there may be times that following the gospel causes us to forsake our father, our mother, our brother, our sister. What does that mean? It means that the gospel and following God is far more important than following man. Trust not on man's understanding. But do trust in God's call, number two. This is one of my favorite passages of all Scripture, Paul's answer. This is a godly answer. He says, what mean ye to weep and to break my heart? For I'm ready not to be bound, but I'm willing to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, you're you're bothering me with trifles. You're saying, Paul, don't go and be bound. He said, I'm ready to die. I'm ready to lay it all on the line to die for Christ. So being bound does not worry me in the slightest. He was telling them to get perspective. When God calls you to a specific work, it's so amazing. It's an amazing thing and very hard to escape or to get out of your mind. The person that goes overseas to take the gospel does so because he or she finds their comfort or security as unimportant next to God's call and work. (coughs) When Paul's friends begged him to stay, they weren't thinking about the burden he had on his shoulders and how not completing it would affect him. They didn't want him to go for fear of his death. They didn't want him to go for fear of his uh, imprisonment. And Paul said, if I don't go, those same things will be true anyway in my heart and in my mind and in my life. You want me to escape imprisonment and death, but what you're doing by, call, by, by calling me to stay is killing me all the same because you're not allowing me to complete God's call in my life. Bobby read this passage earlier, and it, it makes perfect sense with the passage today. Paul says in Philippians 1, Christ shall be magnified in my body. He shall be magnified in my body. Whether it be by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And why in the world would Paul say that? Why in the world would I say what I'm saying today? Because we fear of the unknown, but we serve a God who knows all. You see how foolish it is for us to be bound by our worry and fear? What we are saying when we fear and when we worry is God is not who he is. Don't we say that God's all-powerful? I hope we say that. He's all-knowing and he's everywhere then don't you think that an infinite mind knows way more than a finite mind like ours? And so when he calls us to a thing, no matter if it ends in our death, it is all within his purview and control and understanding. And we have to trust that. If we can't trust that, we're never going to be able to be used as greatly as God wants to use us. And let me say this. Maybe you're sitting here today thinking that, well, God is never called, is going to call me to, to die Remember that Paul's, we're not just talking about dying fleshly. We're talking about dying spiritually every single day. And are you willing to set fear aside and die to your flesh, die to your sin, die to yourself every single day in order to accomplish the things that God would have you accomplish? Paul says, It matters so little, my life. He says, He reminds us in 1 Corinthians, death is swallowed up in victory. The victory of the cross. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is your victory? Do you know, brothers and sisters, that that death cannot touch you? Death cannot harm you. If you are a child of God, if God keeps us alive, we glory Him. If He takes our life, we glory Him. No matter what. And so when when we apply that, to the things that, that God calls us to do here on this earth, it should make it very easy to say yes. It should make it very easy to step off that spiritual cliff where there is no bridge and trust that God will provide it. And yet you and I are very similar. We're human. We're, we're fallible. And so we cannot trust and we cannot escape fear without the help and the power of the Holy Spirit. And we must beg and plead and pray For that, help. God knows everything. He knows exactly what will happen when we answer the call. Trust him. How many times, this this church supports a lot of missionaries. I know the mission team will probably be more aware of these things, but how many times have we seen a person go through deputation where they raise their funds and they go to the field and things are going great and they're there a couple years and then illness strikes or death strikes or or government issues strike. And we and we just we just we don't we don't understand it. We don't understand it. And, and some of us say, well, man, I don't want to do all of that just to come home in a few years. I don't want to put my family through all that struggle, go to the field and come back for a few years. And the problem is is that our priorities are are, are maybe askewed. Because God knew and He knows Every single thing that would ever happen to anybody that, that he calls his child. And sometimes we go through things that don't seem perfect, they don't seem right, but ultimately it's for God's purpose that we would grow in him and glorify him all the more. We have got to shake off that sinful nature, that, that, that doubting nature, that fearful nature, in order to see clearly what God would have us to do. I've told you not to trust on man's understanding alone. And to trust in God's call. And thirdly, trust in God's knowledge. And we have, we have touched on this already. But I'll, I'll, I'll say this anyway. So we have this demonstration by Agabus. We have the friends of Paul, including Luke, who are afraid for him. And they don't want him to go anywhere. So there's this tension I don't know that they were arguing, but there's this tension in the room. And the most brilliant thing that these Christians ever did was in verse 14. And Luke says, basically he says, and when we could not persuade him to stay, we stopped. We stopped. And then we said, the will of the Lord be done. At the end of the day, Paul's friends relented They yielded to the will of the Lord. And there is great wisdom here. Whenever in doubt, whenever you are doing something, and and it could be, you know, I really want to start a Bible study at my workplace. Um, I I don't know what that's going to be like. You know, I don't know what that's going to look like. But you decide that you want to start a Bible study at your work. And your friends say, Oh, man, if you do that, you're going to be putting a target on your back. And if you do that, you may, you may not get to climb the ladder as quickly. And if you do that, you're going to make a lot of people mad. And, and, you, think, and you say to your friends, but I got to. I got to. God's calling me to do this. I, I don't have a choice. I have to do this. And then that wise friend says, you know, God's will be done. Which means, and what these friends say was, we don't know everything. We are not God. We're going to yield to what God would have us to do. Now, if you know much about Acts, you know that Paul went into the crucible when he goes to Jerusalem. There is virtually nothing great that happens to Paul. There's a lot of great things that happen for the kingdom. But what Agabus said came true. Paul was persecuted. And, and, and mistreated. And you just go and read all that he went through. But he did it anyway. <clears throat> he trusted in the will of the Lord. If you have your Bibles, turn really quickly to Romans chapter 8. In this chapter, we, we, uh, we learn some lessons that teach Christians that we don't have to be controlled by fear. And I'm going to go through these pretty quickly. But I just want you to to see them and go back. And here's a way that when you're afraid to do what God has called you to do, and you've got opposition, and you've got fear working on you, go to Romans chapter 8 and know that in verse 1, it tells us that Christians need not fear condemnation. And then you'll read in verse 9, Christians are not controlled by the flesh, but by the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 15, Christians are not slaves to fear, but to the Holy Spirit. And in verse 24, if you rely only on what is seen, you will be controlled by fear. If you rely on what is unseen, you will have hope. Verse 26, even in your weak moments of worry and fear, the Spirit is interceding for you. Verse 27, your deepest fears have been searched out by God and are known to Him. And the Spirit, who is intimately aware of your fears, intercedes for you at His own initiative. And in verse 28, a very well-known verse God is in control of all things that happen to you. You do not have to live in fear. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God forgive us. God forgive us when we let fear Bind us as that belt bound Agabus' hands. God forgive us when we allow fear to bind us as a prisoner in, in jail. I want you to search your heart and search your soul this morning and see what is it that God has called me to do that I have not done because of fear. I sat in the same pews that you're sitting in and I was scared to death that God would call me to the foreign field. That's the very thing he did. And I am praying, and I pray all the time, especially for this church, that God would call one of you, some of you, to the foreign field to come and partner with us and work with us. And I know that's a scary thing, and I know you're probably thinking, no, don't pray that. But I am, because I'm stubborn that way. And I want, most of all, for you to do exactly what God would have you to do, whatever that is. And understand that he hasn't given us fear, but he's given us power and love and a sound mind. I don't know what God has called you to do that you're not doing today, but I, I, I just beg you to stop it. To, to, to get on your knees this morning and to ask for forgiveness and to turn towards him. And the other thing I want to point out is you may be in this room today and everything I've said sounds crazy. And you don't understand. And that's because maybe you don't know Christ as your Savior. And I understand that, that uh, life can be hard and a lot of people can come into our lives that, that are untrustworthy. Maybe your earthly father is not a great guy and not trustworthy, worthy of your trust. But I want you to, and maybe you're fearing trusting Jesus and trusting the father because of all your earthly experiences. Friend, that's not what you need to be fearing today. What you need to fear is your eternity in a hell that is real. Despite what people would say today, hell is real. And it is a horrible place. And it's a place where people go who deny Jesus Christ. Don't, if you fear that, don't fear our Heavenly Father who loves you and wants to draw you to Himself. Step out this morning. Confess your sins to Him. Turn to Jesus Christ and let Him save you. And start a life that doesn't have to be led by fear, but can be led by the Spirit. Let's stand as we pray. Your gracious Heavenly Father, we, we, we love you so much, and there's just so many things in our life that, that we need to, be, that need to be set right or sharpened or made better. And Lord, today I just want to focus on those of us who, who are living in fear, who are letting fear control us. And in so doing, we're, we're doubting who you are, We're doubting what you've done. And Lord, if we were in that situation this morning, I pray that you'd forgive us. I pray that we would turn to you and embrace you and and step out by faith into the unknown. And I pray if there are those here today that don't know you as their Savior, that you would draw them to yourself, convict them of their sin, and, and move them to trust you as their Savior. And let today be the day where fear takes a back seat. Lord, I pray for this church. I pray that you would uh, allow it to be a beacon for the gospel, not only here in Bologna, but to all over the world. And I pray that you bless them. And uh, we thank you, God, for your word and what it has to say to us. Let it resonate in our hearts and our ears today. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.